uh, Luke 12. So in 1947, a man named W.H. Auden wrote a, a, a book. It's a, it's a long poem, 130-something pages, called The Age of Anxiety. And it won a Pulitzer, and a Pulitzer Prize, I think, in 47 or 48. And um, a lot of us have heard that phrase, The Age of Anxiety. Um, a lot of us haven't read the book because... Honestly, it's really, really boring and kind of pointless. But uh, that title, that, that title, The Age of Anxiety, has kind of captured our attention as kind of a description of the world and the age in which we live. We live in, a, in an age and we live in a time when there is just, uh, these are anxious times we live in and, 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 and have been for some time. And we all, as believers, struggle with worry. We struggle with anxiety. Um, and... Uh, anxiety is, is ever-present in our world. We worry about how we're going to make ends meet. We worry about how we're going to uh, how we're gonna handle this or that issue that's going on in our lives. We worry ab- about maybe uh, decisions that people we love are making. We worry about our plans and how our plans are going to come together. Um, we worry about things beyond our control. Um, we worry about people we love. We worry about people we dislike. Uh, we worry, and, 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 and then there's times that we're anxious. I don't, probably most of us can relate to this. There's times that we're just anxious, and it's kind of free-floating, and we don't even know why we're anxious. We just are, um, and we, we really don't even know what it's about. And anxiety isn't limited to a certain personality type. Now, we have uh, kind of rigid, plan-oriented people that kind of uh, know what they're going to be doing six weeks from today, and, 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 and that personality type is not immune to anxiety because uh, when the plans don't work out, then there can just be this sense of, oh, what am I going to do now? And our, our uh, free-spirited, uh, free-floating types are not immune to uh, uh, anxiety either because maybe, maybe you make all these commitments and, and, and then you can't keep some of them. And then, and then we hit a wall and, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? And I'm really anxious about it now. Uh, anxiety robs our sleep. It zaps our health, it steals our focus, it, uh, it, it, it takes our energy, uh, and, our, and it strains our relationships. Anxiety hinders my ability to be present in the present with you. And so if, if, if Michael and I are talking in my heart, and you, and, and you know, just talking about anxiety, you kind of feel that anxious feeling like, you, you know, the feeling in your, in your, in your stomach and then the anxious feeling in your heart, and then the mind starts, starts racing. And, and if, I'm, if I'm really being driven by that, I'm going to have a really hard time just giving Michael my face and being present with him because I'm going to be focusing on all these other things that are gnawing at me at that time. Um, and so... Throughout history and today, uh, many people, most people, have been anxious for provision. And so Jesus is talking to a group of people. I mean, 2,000 years ago, I thought this was really fascinating and crazy. Uh, According to a PBS study, 2,000 years ago, um, there were an estimated 300 million people living on the planet. Now, that's less than the population of the United States today. And that was the whole globe was less than 300 million people. And most of those people were people who were not the haves, they were the have-nots. They, they might have known where their next meal was coming from, but they didn't know where next week's meal was coming from. And so Jesus is talking to a group of people who were anxious for provision. And today, in our world, we, our world today has a population of 7 billion people. Billion with a B. We hit a billion in the year 1800, and now we're at 7 uh, billion people 200 years later. Incredible population explosion. But now out of 7 billion people, half the world 
are living in extreme poverty. And, and, and uh, UNICEF estimates that 22,000 children die every day due to poverty-related causes in our world. That's in our world. That's in 2018. And so in Jesus' day and today, many, many, many people were anxious and are anxious about provision. How am I going to make ends meet? How are things going to work out? How am I, where am I going to get my daily bread? But in a day when the other half of us have a lot of disposable income, I mean, even if you don't consider yourself rich, uh, all of us in this room have uh, a, 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 an amount of disposable income that's pretty much unprecedented in the history of the world. And so um, we find ourselves, if we're not anxious for provision, we often find ourselves anxious for perfection, anxious to attain perfection. And I heard a, a story on the radio that kind of hit home on this, um, and then followed up with it, looked it up on Newsweek. I heard about a plastic surgery uh, procedure, a cosmetic surgery, that has skyrocketed in, um, in uh, popularity, um, and it's called an umbilicoplasty. And, uh, and if you've had one, I'm not, I'm not uh, hating on you or anything. I'm not judging you, Will. Um, but an umbilicoplasty is an elective plastic surgery to get a more perfect-shaped belly button, okay? And in the age of selfies and, you know, exposed midriffs and all these things, the, 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 the amount of, of umbilicoplasties has skyrockets. A couple thousand dollar procedure, you can't pick up anything heavy for a couple weeks, and people say, hey, I'll pay that price to have a more well-rounded, no pun intended, uh, belly button, okay? And so um, what's the point of me saying that? We live in a time when we are striving to attain perfection. Perfect bodies, perfect figures, perfect morality, perfect spirituality, uh, perfect house, perfect family. And, and so many of us are anxious about provision. Many of us are anxious about achieving perfection. And a lot of us are probably anxious about both of those things simultaneously. Um, and anxiety as a result of that, whatever's driving it, provision, perfection, uh, it, there's just this hurried attitude that results as a, as a result of being driven by anxiety. I find myself hurrying around. Um, Dallas Willard, when he was asked, kind of, what's the most important spiritual lesson? Dallas Willard was an amazing believer and disciple maker and thinker. And, and when he was asked, what's the most important kind of spiritual advice you can give? He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said, Jesus was always busy, but never in a hurry. Hurriedness is a spiritual attitude. And as you think about Jesus, just think about Jesus for a minute. Dallas Willard also said that the one word he would use to describe Jesus, the primary word he would use to describe Jesus is relaxed, um, which I think is interesting. Nobody's ever described Jesus to me as relaxed before. But can you think about Jesus saying, okay, come to me, everybody who's weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I mean, are you going to be enticed by that? How refreshing is it to be in the presence of somebody who's rooted? Isn't that refreshing? To be in the presence of somebody who's still and calm. And I imagine Jesus to be, I mean, the most rooted, the most non-anxious, the most at-peace person. Even though he's, he's doing more, he's busy, he's got a lot to do, but he's not running around hurried all the time. Anxiety leads me to focus on what I cannot do to the point that I forget what I can do. And this is something that I see in myself, I see in so many of us. We spend so much energy focused on 
the thing that we cannot change, that we forget the God-given power that He has given us. There are things here that I can do. Anxiety leads me to focus on what I cannot do at the expense of what I can do. And so every believer, including this believer that's talking right here, all of us, we struggle in some form or fashion with worry. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with this thing. And, uh, and in Luke 12, Jesus shows us how to, how to meet anxiety, how to combat it um, with the power of the gospel. And I believe that the, the greatest uh, the greatest need we have to combat anxiety is to be firmly rooted, to become more deeply rooted in the gospel. When, I, when my heart is most anxious, my heart needs the gospel most. When my heart is most anxious, my heart needs the gospel most. So go with me to Luke 12. Let's, let's look at uh, verses beginning in verse 4. I, I tell you, my friends, Jesus says, do not fear those who will kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Now, this doesn't sound super comforting so far, but, but there's a principle here that, that's deeply comforting. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, so Jesus begins by, by talking about just the power and the authority and the holiness and the sovereignty of God. That he, is, there, there's people that are able to, you know, say terrible things to us and do terrible things to us. There's people that are able to even take our lives. But we as believers, we believe in death and resurrection. We believe in the power of the resurrection. And so he's saying, you know, don't worry people that can, I mean, anybody in here, the worst they can do is kill you. He says, and is that really the worst thing that could happen? He says, but fear that if you want to be afraid of somebody, fear God. Fear the one that holds your eternity. Fear the one that can cast you into hell. And he's talking about this, this holiness and this transcendence and the sovereignty of God. And when I'm worried, when I'm anxious, when my heart and my mind are racing a thousand miles an hour, I need to put down a taproot into contemplating the holiness and the sovereignty and the power of God. God is holy. God is strong. God is sovereign. And a great psalm for that is Psalm 61. Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2 uh, says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock who is stronger than I am. When my heart is weak, when my heart is faint, when my heart is anxious, lead me to the rock who is stronger than I am. Um, anxiety is rooted in, in fear. And so what happens is we know that do not fear is the most common commandment, right? And we know that uh, Jesus says here, do not be anxious. And so what happens is I feel anxious. I'm not supposed to feel anxious. So now I'm anxious that I feel anxious. Is anybody familiar with this? Not just me? Okay. And so, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to feel this way, but now I do feel this way. I'm a bad Christian. I'm failing. And now I'm anxious about being anxious, about being anxious, and it becomes this cycle. Listen, why does God tell us so many times, do not fear? Because he knows we are afraid. Jesus knows our weakness. And there's a song we sing sometimes, Jesus knows all about our struggles. He knows we struggle with anxiety. This isn't surprising to him. 
This isn't news to him. And so he is speaking these words, not so we can take them and beat them over our heads and accuse ourselves with them. He's speaking these words because he knows we need them. He's speaking these words because he knows we're weak. He knows we're frail. He knows that we are going to battle fear. We are going to battle anxiety. This is something that we are going to struggle with. God knows our weakness. Um, so, so when we feel anxious, we feel like we need to hide it. We feel like we need to, 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 to not tell anybody about it or show anybody about it. Um, but maybe that's not right. Um, the first thing Jesus is you know, saying here is, you know, fear God. And, and there's something about like Isaiah 6, like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. Like when I am captivated and captured and become rooted in how holy and how awesome and how transcendent God is, the mortgage payment really doesn't compare to that. Does it still matter? Yeah. But it's a whole different, different ballgame. It's like you're camping and you're out hiking and a little mouse runs across the trail. Anybody going to be startled by that? And so maybe you run away from the mouse and as you're running from the mouse, you meet face-to-face with a grizzly bear who rises up and roar in your face. That grizzly bear is God. And when you see that grizzly bear, who is still afraid of the mouse? Who's still scared about the mouse? And, and, and so, so when we're captivated by God is holy, God is powerful, God is sovereign, God is, is, is supreme, it puts everything else in perspective. And when I am anxious, I can get still And just think on, ponder, contemplate the holy, sovereign strength of God. And he goes on to say, this sovereign, holy God cares about you. And he knows every hair on your head. Amazing. Amazing. When my heart is most anxious, my heart needs the gospel most. Uh, Next principle, the the next bit of good news that we can put our roots down in when we're anxious is that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Psalm 8, um, Psalm 8 verse 1 uh, says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, Jesus says in verse 22, Luke 12, 22. Luke 12, 22. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Life's about more than survival. He says, consider the ravens. And let's consider ravens for a minute. Anybody have a pet raven? Has anybody ever eaten a raven? Don't raise your hand if you have. Okay. Um, A raven was considered an unclean animal. And ravens or crows, we only use them now to like, we put them on our doors like a Halloween to frighten children, okay? This was not a useful animal. This was considered an unclean animal. And that's the example Jesus uses here. He says, God takes care of ravens. God takes care of a bird that's unclean and pretty much useless. God's going to take care of you. They neither sow nor do they reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are of you? Than the birds. Okay, so do birds work hard? Yes. Birds are probably some of the most hardworking creatures on the planet, and yet they're not panicked. They're not, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not driven by anxiety. Now, is Jesus saying that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you? Terrible things happen to birds every day. Birds die every day. 
Uh, birds get shot by us, right? Uh, I mean, uh, birds die. Bad things happen to birds. So he's not saying nothing bad's ever going to happen, but he's saying not one bird falls to God that is apart from God's care. God knows every bird by name. He is present and cares for each one, and he's present and cares for us. So Jesus calls us to look at the birds, and then he calls us to look at uh, verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither uh, toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, and so he says, look at the birds, look at the lilies. In other words, look at the grass. In other words, drink in creation. Look at creation around you and be reminded that God is a creator God. He is our creator. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of the universe. And when I'm deeply anxious, when I'm deeply worried, I can put down a root in that. God, you are the creator of all things. And I can, I can pray a psalm like Psalm 19 or like Psalm 8 that just, just kind of boasts in God's creative power. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the ravens in the air. That's to, that's to focus our thought on. Um, it's kind of similar to what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, set your mind not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. God has given me and you as His image bearers. He's given us power and authority to choose to decide what we set our minds on. Now, that doesn't mean all of our anxious feelings totally evaporate immediately, but I do have a choice where I'm setting my mind. Am I setting my mind on, 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 on the things of the Spirit or the things of my flesh? Am I setting my mind, am I, am I setting my mind on considering, uh, man, that God is this creative and powerful, awesome God. I wonder what, you know, I'm in a mess right now. I wonder what creative thing God might do in this. That's a great way to just put my roots down and just ponder on Him as creator he's the creator and the sustainer of the universe and that's good news when i'm anxious and finally uh in in verse uh let's see verse 28 29 and do not seek what you are to eat where you to drink nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you he says everybody else in the world is worried about what they're going to eat and they're worried about perfection they're worried about what they're going to drink and they're worried about provision he says you are not like everybody else you're a weirdo and 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 the world is calling you to be normal and often even we the church are calling you to be normal but god calls you to be weird he calls you to be a little bit strange he calls you to be somebody that isn't caught up in the things that everybody else are caught up in and he says this is what the gentiles worry about in other words he's saying you're not called to be like everybody else and then he says your father in heaven knows this gospel truth that we can set our roots down into is that god is my father he's holy and powerful he's creator and he's my father he's a father to the fatherless he's a father and he tells a story that kind of illustrates this back in verse 13. Luke 12, 13, he tells a story. Now Jesus is teaching, and somebody in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now you ever teaching a class school teachers or maybe Sunday school teachers? You ever teaching something preachers? You ever teaching and somebody is totally 
totally misses the point of what you're trying to communicate. That's what happens here. Hey, uh, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And he said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Which, to be fair, I mean, he is Jesus, so kind of, I mean, he is the judge, right? But in other words, he's saying, I'm not getting triangled into that. I'm not getting caught in the middle of this thing. Pay attention to Jesus there. Um, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Be on your guard against all greed. It's interesting that greed and anxiety and worry are connected. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, you hearing all the eyes and the mys in this so far? I, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We are so fooled into thinking that if I just get a bigger barn, whatever the barn is for you, if I just get a bigger barn, I'll be happy. Nicer car, more money in the bank, better house, better job, promotion, more kids, kids graduate. And that more, bigger, better, it just never delivers, does it? It never really delivers the lasting happiness that we think it's going to. And, and God calls this man a fool. Now, is the word fool, if we if we're have the book of Proverbs in mind, fool is somebody who's living as though there's no God. A fool is someone who's living as though I'm the center of the universe and there's no God. Well, I don't, I'm not that because I'm a Christian. Well, how many of us, how many Christians, for one or two hours a week, we gather in the church house and we live like there's a God and then we live the other six and a half days a week as though it's all up to me, as though it's all on me and there's no God. There's no, I'm not seeking God in my parenting. I'm not seeking God in my finances. I'm not seeking God in my work. I'm just trying to shoulder it all. And Jesus has told us, that's how pagans live. You have a father who loves you. Do you got to work? Yeah, birds work hard, but you don't have to worry. Now, he gives us an incredible alternative. He says, uh, instead, verse 31, 12, 31, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Interesting that seeking the kingdom is given to us as an alternative to anxiety, as an alternative to worry. Um, and so if I think about anxiety in my life, I think about laying in bed, eyes wide open, thinking, what am I going to do about, you know, mind going 100 miles an hour, heart racing, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to do that? And seeking the kingdom in that situation maybe looks like, as an alternative to anxiety, God, what do you want to do here? God, how is this an opportunity for my heart to deepen, my roots to deepen? How are you wanting to grow me into this? Because God, I know your ultimate plan for me, Romans 8, 28 and 29, your ultimate plan for me 
is that you're going to conform me into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So how is this part of that? How is this thing I'm worried about, your kingdom coming near to form me to know and be more like you? How are you desiring to use this situation and to use me as a conduit for bringing your kingdom near to others in my life? And when I'm saying, God, what are you going to do here? What I'm doing is I'm taking all the weight and the responsibility off of my shoulders and I'm putting it on His, the Holy One, the Creator One, the Father One. And I'm making it not about here's what I want, but I'm making it about what kingdom good, what kingdom growth can come from this. And he goes on to say in verse 32, another dimension of seeking first the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God's given you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Treasure in heaven isn't something, it's not like a treasure chest you get at the end. This is God's resources available to you now. And he says, you want to you wanna seek first the kingdom? Why don't you go be part of feeding those three billion people that don't have any food? Interesting. And as I start praying and seeking the kingdom that way, I might find that my heart begins to change. Not just towards starving people around the world, but people that are carrying burdens all around me. And I start thinking in terms of how do I bring God's kingdom near in the situation. And so when we talk about anxiety, a couple things I'd like to say as we wrap up. One, a lot of times people ask, um, is it okay for a Christian, I mean, is it okay for a Christian to take uh, anti-anxiety medication? And a lot of times, as Christians, we feel shame over taking medicine for anxiety. And I want to say that there's anxiety that we all deal with. It's kind of the lot of every human. But there are some of us that struggle with anxiety on a, on a deeper and more complex level. And so I would just say to you, is it sinful or wrong or unchristian to take a pill for a headache? <laughs> is it wrong to take a pill for uh, strep throat? Um, no. And so uh, is, is the pill the primary answer? No, the gospel is still the primary answer. The gospel is still the deepest answer, deepening my roots in God's fatherhood and His holiness and His power and His goodness, yes. But medicine may be part of or one of the tools God uses in your life. And so, uh, as Christians, uh, you don't have to feel ashamed or like you're failing if you struggle with anxiety, even if you're struggling with anxiety to the point that, uh, that there's medical, uh, medical uh, help needed. Um, again, Jesus knows our weaknesses. Um, community is a huge part of this. Sometimes just being able to tell another person I am really anxious. And that other person to say, yeah, sometimes that does so much good. We need community. And we need to listen to our anxiety. Um, anxiety or any feeling, any emotion, any emotion makes a great servant, but a terrible master. And so anxiety is a servant. It's a terrible master. Don't let it master you. 
But it's a servant that says something's going on. And we can't drive around our car and ignore that check engine light forever, can we? We can't just keep pushing the anxiety down and thinking it's just going to disappear. It's telling us there's something going on. And so through prayer, through deepening your roots, through talking with your community, what's that try- what is that thing that's going on? Um, it's a warning light that tells me I need to pay attention to my heart and turn my consideration to the gospel. Um, the band's coming up, but just as, as we close, I've learned, or I am learning a couple of things. As my roots, personally, are going deeper into the good news that Jesus is King, um, I'm learning, I'm 20 years into walking, seriously walking with Christ, and I need the gospel now more than I needed the gospel 20 years ago. I need the gospel now more than I needed the gospel a year ago. And as I walk with Christ, I am learning that He is more powerful than I ever imagined. He is more sovereign and strong uh, than I ever imagined. Now, I've also learned that I am much weaker than I ever imagined. As I grow in the gospel, I learn that He is... What do we sing? Yes, Jesus loves me. Let's see. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. I've learned that he is stronger (laughs) um, than I ever imagined. And I've learned that I am much weaker than I think I am. And as my understanding and rootedness in his strength and my understanding of my weakness grows, what happens is my reliance on the cross increases. I need the cross of Jesus Christ. I need the resurrection of Jesus Christ in ways I don't even know, in ways I don't even comprehend. He's strong, and I'm weak. And as we are rooted in the gospel, uh, we deepen in that. And so the gospel is what I need today. The gospel is what I I'm going to need tomorrow, next Thursday, you know what my deepest need is still going to be? 